Hi everyone, this is Joshua Hoffman, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success and discuss a few things they learned along the way. Today I have Brian Hasenkamp, the founder and creative director of Asinka Creative Services, a marketing agency that focuses on strategic branding and marketing for mid-sized businesses. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. Great to be here. I apologize. Right before the call, I, I asked if I'm saying your last name right. I, maybe I should have said your firm as well. Did I say that correctly? Asanka. Yeah, that's fine. Asanka. I, yeah. I was, I was like going through. I was like, oh, goodness. I didn't ask you about that one. <laughs> um, but we also did speak briefly before, and that's where I learned that you are a car guy. Um, so this is obviously me, a car guy as well. I wanted to start here. Um, sure. Can you please tell us about the restoration project in your garage? And you also have to tell us what your number one favorite car is. Number one favorite car. All right. So uh, restoration project right now is sort of a hybrid Fox body Mustang. Uh, it's an 86 SVO, uh, but it's a convertible, which they never made. So sort of put that fact together and uh, it's it's a little fun toy for now. But um, absolute favorite car, I think as far as me on my wish list is probably a 67 Fastback. Mustang, oh, of course. Uh, I'm a Mustang guy. So, yeah. Would you ever go out of Mustang? Oh, yeah. Do yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not opposed to others, but that's kind of that's my, that's my happy place. So. What uh, any car outside of Mustang that you would uh, that you'd want? Um, I've always been fascinated by the Pantera um, from you know in the early '70s and stuff like that. So mid-engine, still Ford powered, but uh, but that's always been intriguing. American, yeah, yeah, definitely American stuff is is kind of what uh, what gets me excited. So, and then. In addition to being a car guy, you also used to be a minister. Um, so I would love to learn a little bit more about that. And what did you learn from that that you brought to entrepreneurship? Yeah, so uh, not so much, you know, in, in any official capacity, just sort of lay serving, uh, you know, in different different roles and stuff like that. Um, but I think uh, probably, uh, well, I guess there's a couple pieces that came out of that. One uh, is is just a, a value on relationships. Um, and brought that right into business. And then the integrity piece too. Um, it's worth a lot more for me to be able to put my head on the pillow and sleep well at night than make any sorts of any other amounts of money or whatever. So those, those were two pieces um, that I think I, I, I brought from that that, uh, that have just been foundational pieces for, for growing the business. So we have cars, ministry, and then the last thing I want to attack here is you were also an art director and a graphic designer, um, which I think is interesting because you focus now a lot on data, yeah. um, which from someone from the outside might actually seem kind of counterintuitive um, for those professions. So how did you get into marketing? How did you get into being like an art director and a graphic designer? And then how did that become, you know, this quantitative look that you take now? Yeah, so... Um... So the creative side was, you know, went through college for that. And, and kind of that was my uh, introduction, if you will, into the industry. I uh, was coming from the creative and the design side, which, uh, which, which I enjoyed. Uh, but the more years I did that, the more I think I realized that what I enjoyed about the creative side was uh, creating a, a creative solution to something, solving a problem creatively with the creative side of things. So um, as I started to, to, uh, get into doing this for myself, um, then those, uh, those creative solutions 
it came in other ways other than just art, right? I started creating, you know, a, there was a creative solution to solve, you know, the, a marketing problem or a technical issue with a website or other things. And I started to see all these other ways I was able to solve problems for people, maybe not necessarily through art and layout. Um, and so that sort of morphed then into, uh, you know, into the, the desire to sort of look at data creatively and come up with creative solutions from a marketing and, uh, you know, strategic positioning, all those other pieces. I just, I looked at from the same creative problem solving rather than particularly art. Uh, but, but I got started through the art side of it. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Do you, do you think that you are more right or left brain? So right being, um, right brain being, being left-handed. So that's creative and left, yeah. left being usually right-handed, which is analytical. So analytical or more creative. Um, Probably lean a little bit more towards the creative side. However, um, I, I have found that I think I'm a little bit more unique. I'm not heavily one side or the other. I can jump back and forth because I really enjoyed coding um, when I got into it. And, you know, I, I enjoy data and analytics, um, but it might be for, uh, you know, for different reasons. Like I still enjoy them from a creative aspect, right? But my mind doesn't sort of block me from getting into code and doing that. But one of the, one of the gentlemen that was first teaching me how to code, um, you know, his, he, you know, I was like, Oh, I think I did this all wrong. And he's like, if it works, it's right. Like, don't worry about that. Um, but he was a jazz musician and, uh, and, and later on in my relationship with him and, and as I grew as a developer too, I really started to see how, he really approached coding as art. Like there was a real art to the way he structured the code. And it, it kind of, it, 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 you know, in a, in a weird way, it was connected musically too. I also play guitar and stuff like that. So, you know, so I could sort of see how that was all coming together. So I, I, it, it's, you know, I lean more towards the creative side on that, but it, I think I just approach everything in, in that same way, even if it is analytical. I'm not there because, you know, my, you know, my mind gets some comfort in seeing everything lined up and organized. I'm still a- approaching it creatively. So you code also. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Um, coding, especially get to like a proficient level, does take a decent amount of time and, and like you can't be distracted. It's one of those things you have to sit down and just do. Slide the food under the so, door, yeah. <laughs> exactly, right. Which is actually why I never attacked it. I, I never wanted to put the time in to get to a proficient level. Um, you know, sometimes I just wanted like a a basic understanding, whether it's CS or even database and things like that. The question is, do you think it was worth your time? I don't know how much coding you do now, but you know, whether it's reviewing or whatever, is it, was it worth your time? Yeah, I don't do very much now to answer that question. Um, however, I definitely think it was, uh, it was worth my time. Understand if, if nothing else than getting a thorough understanding of the possibilities of what can be done. So right now, if we approach a project, I may not have all the syntax to put it together, but I can pretty quickly look at something and say, yep, we can do that because we have these data points and we can pull from here and we can do this. We can give this information. And it just sort of flows easily in my brain from, from that background uh, of having that. So yes, I definitely, definitely think it was worthwhile to get into it. Um, And just, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. And then just add to that. I I think that there's some skill sets that just allow you to think differently um, and attack a problem differently in coding. And I think even going to law school, not that I've done either of them, but my understanding of those is that you basically think through a problem differently based on different outcomes and where you want the outcome to be and things like that. So yeah. um, I think there's a skill set in, in there as well. Yeah, I agree. 
So taking a step back now, can you tell us a little bit more about the firm? Uh, sure, sure. So um, started off uh, just initially uh, with a strategic uh, component at its core. Um, I had done done some uh, done some work, uh, you know, creatively at other agencies uh, and stuff like that. But um, always was fascinated with the strategy behind, even if it's just you know uh, psychographic information, colors, what makes people respond differently, and do things like that. But most of that wasn't really getting put into the work we were doing. It was just aesthetic. Does it look aesthetic? You know, do we do we make the client happy with this aesthetic? Yes, great. Okay, uh, move on. But I always thought that there was something more uh, that that you could provide, even if just in ways of of rationale. But certainly, the quality of the product could be uh, done better that way. So that's that was sort of the, the core um, uh, of of the reason and, and some of the value that I wanted to bring with the agency, but. Um, you know, started off as a strategic creative agency, um, grew into doing brand work, grew into doing web work, then grew into doing digital marketing pieces. Um, and, and now at this point, 20 plus years later, um, most of what we do is on this, the web development, uh, design and development side and digital marketing side. We do get into some branding projects and strategic positioning, but um, not in the volume, not anywhere near the volume of the other other type of projects that we get into. So, what, what made you want to grow your services? So, like, obviously, you start with your core competency. Was it customer requests? Like, what, and then yeah. and then what made you say, okay, you know, this is something that we should work in house rather than either outsourcing or maybe white label or whatever it is. Um, but what made you say, let's start to add more services? Yeah, it was very organic. Um, follow the market, right? I had a, had a client need. I, I think it was maybe our third client um, had a website needed some things changed, and I had never looked at it. So I just figured out, and that was going back some now. So you know, Dreamweaver days, and uh, um, so I just sort of looked at the code of the website, sort of found the plan. I was like, oh, so if I change that here, I do this, and I didn't break too much, and, and fixed it all up, and figured it out, did a little googling, and. Uh, and so, you know, I was like, all right, great. Now I, I made a change on a website. And, you know, after that, ended up building our own first one and, and sort of grew into that space. And, you know, so that's really a need there. And, um, yeah, again, a couple of years after that, had a client approach me and said, hey, have you ever done any uh, advertising on Google? I said, nope, but I'm willing to learn with you if you're willing to learn with me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's that's how they all sort of came around, just, just following the market need. Did you ever think that you were spreading yourself thin, or did you ever actually spread yourself thin? Uh, definitely have gone through uh, through areas of, of spreading myself thin, but uh, to me, again, I, I I'm testing and will continue to test areas like that. But I don't necessarily jump into it with full support and full staff and everything like that unless there's really a need there, or, or you know, it, it looks like it's a it's a it's a valuable service to the client. So um, I, I didn't. I didn't just because I could, uh, you know, I tested it. I saw that, okay, I, I think we can, we can make a way here, but probably spread myself the thinnest when I started to do a lot of the coding on top of the design and everything before I had staff and it was just subcontractors. And so I was trying to just carry everything. And that's when it, you know, became clear. It was like, all right, you're, you know, you're either going to need to subcontract some of this kind of stuff or you're going to need to start hiring people because <laughs> I was working tons and tons of hours and I wasn't making tons and tons of money. So <laughs> it wasn't sustainable. Who was your first hire? 
Um, I hired somebody that I had worked with uh, previously um, at, at when I uh, when I worked for somebody else, um, and she had since left there. And uh, she was uh, web uh, more of like a, um, a like typesetter uh, type role. So she you know wasn't wasn't full into the design side of things, but that back in that day we were still doing some print, um, and she was she was comfortable doing web stuff as well, at least uh, text changes and other things like that, not necessarily designing a site from scratch. Um, so she was the first part time uh, person that I brought in, and that you know that opened the whole can of worms. <laughs> it's funny actually that as soon as I hired that person, like at the end of that day after her first day working there. My whole mindset shifted on the business. It went from a business that I was building to an asset, and it was like right in that moment, just changed. I was like, "Oh, okay, this is this is an asset." My whole mindset shifted that day, um, which was strange because I had been in business for over five years, I think, at that point. So it wasn't it wasn't new, but just definitely a mindset shift. Can you can you describe that a little further? Um, yeah. So it, you know the. The business was mine before that, and you know I was sort of shaping it to serve mine. I was sort of shaping the business to to be what I wanted it to be, while it was still also being valuable to the customers. But I sort of didn't want to work past a certain time, and I had young children at that point, so I wanted to save some time for that. It was like some personal time management that was all kind of baked into my picture of uh, of the company. Um, and after I hired that person, you know. Now it was serving that person, and it was still serving the clients, and it was still serving you know me, but in a, in a different way. So when I say it, it sort of shifted into an asset in my head, I, I just I looked at it as as something. Okay, now this this is something that can provide for other staff. It can still serve the customers, and it can provide for me. But it's a different type of thing now that my hands don't have to touch everything that are going on in here too. It, it just I guess it just took me up an extra level and I started saying, okay, how do I structure this now in a way that it, it maintains value outside of me, right? So, you know, it has value in its staff. It has value in the clients. It has value in the contracts. It has value in, you know, all these other areas. Um, and, but that's what prompted it was, was that, that hire. Did you, whether it was that hire or, or other hires, did you go through like growing pains when you were relieving some of that control? Um, as far as me personally, sort of like relinquishing or, uh, direction want to take that. Yeah. Um, I did get to a point where I had to take all that software off my laptop. So I physically could not do the work, even if I wanted to anymore. And I, I still remain in that situation and it kind of pains me at times like, Oh, I just want to go. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I think the other, the only other, uh, real growing pains part is, and I think this is probably typical for, for most small businesses, is you never really have the cash or the business to do the hire, but you kind of need to do the hire and then it needs to follow. And so you're always in that point of like, wait, but what if it doesn't? And it, you know, it's, it's always, you know, every, every step, every hire is that way. You're never like rolling in it and you're just like, great, I can hire five people now. <laughs> it just, it, it never go, at least for me, it never went quickly there. So. So when, when do you decide that it's worth making another hire? Um, generally it's if, if we're starting to sub out a lot of stuff. So we'll, we'll sort of work to our capacity and then we'll sub out, you know, if we're really overloaded, you know, with time frame, and then we sort of look at, okay, 
what's the skill set that we could best need now to fill in. Um, so we have a designer developer now, uh, a backend senior developer, project manager, digital marketing lead, and myself. So, um, so you know, those skill sets are nice and filled. And so, you know, if things continue to grow, we'll be looking for another skill set to, to bring in uh, around that probably rather than just doubling up. Um, you know, even even if it's, you know, digital marketing that grows, maybe we bring in somebody who has a particular expertise in the in the area that can sort of sit under uh, under who's here now and, and just sort of sort of grow that way. Look look for where the gaps are. Um, but yeah, it, it usually is when when we start to to subcontract out a good amount of work because the margins are less when you subcontract. And so um, so at that point, you start to say, all right, you know, I could I could bring in either a part timer or a full timer for this now and, and start to start to go there. So you guys do work with contractors. Oh, yeah. Um, how many contractors do you work? Like, what is your full time contractor split? Um, so it, I, we try to keep everything in house. So um, we have a, a certain stead of contractors that will do things that we don't do, right? So we don't shoot video and edit video and everything like that. So I've got, you know, several different companies that we'll sub sub out to for different jobs, jobs like that, that don't fall into our real area that we have staffing expertise for. Uh, but then we have the sort of the next echelon of subcontractors that are duplicative to staffers that we have here, but just they're in place in case we get really overloaded. So those are the ones that we're watching, obviously, for if we're subbing too much. Or, I mean, honestly, if we're subbing so much video, which we're not at that point yet, but conceivably, yeah, that could be like, well, hey, why don't we why don't we bring in, you know, somebody somebody to handle that here? So either way, that's that's the uh, the measure. That's I was gonna kinda ask that in a question, that last part. So perfect. Uh, going back again to the early days, how did you guys get your first customer? Ah, so first customer was was friends and family. Uh, so it was uh, it was somebody we knew, um, and he just needed a, you know he was he was starting a, a business uh, doing uh, off road motorcycle tuning and tweaking suspension stuff like that, and he just wanted a logo. So um, we did that, and uh, and yeah, so I mean it, it was it was a small job, but it got us off the ground. Actually, I I took. I took the entire um, that entire chunk of that and tithed it, sort of like, hey, all right, it's my first fruits. Like, hey, we just started the business here, um, and said, all right, we're we're off and running. But uh, but that was the only job I ever did with that. <laughs> so, um, other clients actually, uh, so I I have numbered our clients, uh, sort of you know a, as they come, and we're still working with client three. Um, so. Well, t I typically ask, obviously, the first customer, and, and I've said this before on, on this podcast, but the first customer is obviously very important, but uh, that's just a data point where, you know, the second and third customer starts the trend and starts saying, yeah. oh, maybe I do have a company. So how did you then get your second and or third customer? Yeah, so because I had been in the industry, um, I had connections, largely vendor connections or, or just new other people that we were working with. So it wasn't clients. Uh, so I took a package um, from, from where I was corporately uh, to start this. They were restructuring. I took a little package. It was like, okay, great, um, and, uh, and decided to start this. So I had a lot of vendor relationships, which actually drove most of the, the initial business that was coming in. Um, in fact, at one point, that company hired me <laughs> to do something too, which is not totally uncommon. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, so that sort of 
it was friends and family and just other business uh, vendor type relationships that carried through the first, I'm going to say maybe up to eight or nine clients. I did a little bit of direct ma- direct mail marketing back in the day too, a, 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 a campaign that again grabbed me three or four different agencies to to work for, so already established agencies, and I was doing a little stuff with them. Um, but then after that, the networking really picked up. So I started networking, which took some time to get going. But after that, that's been the the large chunk of the business, and I, I do track that, and it's probably fifty percent. Um, in any given month of the revenue that's that's made in that month started in a networking relationship. Can you define that a little bit more, uh, what you mean? By yeah, networking? so um, it, it's somewhat simple in the tracking, but I just uh, I, I put a descriptor on each client in QuickBooks as to how I found them. I just made a little custom field in there, and I have a whole list of all the different networking groups or whatever. Was it a personal relationship or, or whatever? And so I just I, I assign that client to to how I found them. And then at any month or any year, I can just look at the revenue based on those groups of people and see where most of the revenue is coming from. Um, and yeah, like I said, at least 50% uh, from, from networking efforts. After I would say the first year, I had some learning to do to figure out how to network effectively and things like that. But yeah, it's, it's you know, and it's consistent and it just keeps growing and growing. Are you going to events? Are you, you know, writing to people on LinkedIn? Like, what is it specifically? Yeah, it's mostly events. Um, uh, You know, it started out back in 2003 or or whatever it was. Uh, I was doing BNI. I was doing some chamber events and things like that. Um, You know, it grew from there to uh, other, a little bit more specific groups, targeted groups. I run a few groups now. I've got a group that, you know, just for networking uh, for creative agencies. Um, you know, and so, so we'll network together. I have a small other group locally here, um, that's just open to all businesses. So, you know, it helping people, right? I mean, that's the bottom line of networking is if, if you can help other people, there's a reciprocity there that, that comes back over time. So it's not so much the perfect pitch or anything like that, but getting to know people, building relationships, like I said, that sort of comes back into, into this is build, build relationships and then, uh, um, and then just try to help people. Uh, just to add a quick story to that, uh, the way I actually got this job being the podcast host is I was actually in like the Philly startup community and, and there was a pitch event and I guess someone didn't show up to do their pitch. Um, and I had just, I was like, you know, the pitch was already in my head. I okay. was doing it in other places. So uh, they were like, all right, let's move on. And I ended up raising my hands. I'd be like, do you mind if I just like pitch? I had, here's my flash drive. Like I'm ready to go. And they said, yes. And then um, little did I know Alex who runs DevNoodle, the sponsor, um, he took note of that and reached out or, or, you know, talked to me after, and we've been talking ever since. And, um, because of that, we never did business together. It was just, you know, two entrepreneurs talking. Yeah. Um, and then he one day asked me, he's like, Hey, I think you'd be great for this host. And, and I, I've loved it ever since. So. That's a great story. It's awesome. Good for you yeah. for just being ready. Right. I, I, I give it a little more credit. Like I was, I was ready before that as in, you know, but it was, yeah, it yeah. was a good opportunity. I, luck is the combination of preparation and opportunity. Right. And I, I think that, uh, exemplified that well. Um, a few questions that I, I tend to ask most guests is if you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? Hmm. Teach something to other marketers. Um, yes. Uh, I mean, it, it's probably the the flip side of it, right? So everybody wants to start with a plan. Everybody knows that, but the flip side it is track it 
and actually actually do something with it. Find at that before you start anything, make sure that you can track the thing that you're tr- the needle that you're trying to move. Make sure you can really accurately track that before you, ju- especially before you start any any sort of paid efforts or anything like that. Make sure you can really accurately get your hands around what you're trying to move because if you guess at that later, um, you, you know. You're, you're spinning your wheels and potentially wasting a lot of time. Um, so, you know, all about custom strategy and everything like that. But at the outset, include in that, find, find what you're actually trying, you know, what, whatever you're trying to move, but make sure that you can actually track it. Because oftentimes just Google Analytics isn't going to be enough to really track what you want to. Sometimes you need CRMs or other, other tools or other client participation in that to really you know, say, well, you know, we want to, we want to move, you know, the dollars coming in. That's often, that's harder to track than just leads coming in, you know, and even, you know, qualified leads and all these other little, like, what exactly are you looking to move? Figure all that out at the beginning of the strategy and just make sure that you can, that you have an effective way to measure that piece. Uh, the clients appreciate that too. <laughs> Noted because uh, I just started tracking my betting finally. I do like $1 bets, you know, like uh-huh. whatever. Um, I was just losing too much. <laughs> I was like, listen, I got to learn. Right. Literally yesterday, this is very timely. Yesterday I put in Excel. Uh, I said if I bet in game or before the game or whatever. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to figure it out. That's fun. That's great. That's, that's exactly the right principle. Yeah. Um, what do you enjoy talking about that you normally don't get an opportunity to talk about? Hmm. That could be cars, by the way. It doesn't well, have to be yeah, I'm going to say it's probably theology. Just doesn't doesn't come up enough. It, it super deep. I like going deep, and uh, you know, opportunities for that. And, and it's not even because oh, it's a business environment or anything like that. It's just it's time, right? Everybody is just cruising around, speeding around, doing things, and to to pause and sort of go deep and deep dive into something could be anything. I pick theology, but like getting into a, a deeper conversation about something and really starting to pick that apart. I enjoy that. And there's, there's just no time. Yeah. <laughs> Life just flies by, or I guess, I, I guess accurately, I don't make the time for it. Right. So. Sure, right. Right. Uh, I'm a philosophy guy. So I always like uh, diving deeper yeah. into the, theology and philosophy are, are right next yep. to each other. Yeah. Um, so I always like diving. Are you guys looking to hire any positions right now? Uh, right now, no, we're, uh, we're in good shape. We, we hired, uh, you know, six months ago or something like that. And we're, we're still in good shape for that. So we're a team of five now. Um, that's pretty comfortable. And like, I, I don't have any like numbers in my head. Again, I'll follow the market. If we continue to get busy, we get some bigger contracts. Sure. We'll, we'll grow some more, but, uh, but I'm, I'm plenty, plenty happy right here. It's good. We can do good work. It's a small enough team. We can still communicate together, you know, cleanly as a team. We don't need tons of meetings to make sure everything happens and gets communicated across the organization. So it's obviously been really volatile too. Um, so I've heard enough stories of people hiring because things were so hot in the last two years and they cooled off and things like that and restructuring and all that stuff. Last question, uh, any book or podcast recommendations? And that doesn't have to be in, in business or marketing. It can be anything. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know, across, across the gamut. Um, and not so much in marketing. I'm, I, I tend, <clears throat> and this is probably to a fault, but I, I think it, it also plays towards the, the creative side of me is um, I, I don't, I'll listen a little bit to the 
to what's going on out there, but I kind of try to like find my own path. So I don't dive deep into, uh, into a lot of those pieces. Um, I will say a book that did help me a ton getting started, uh, was the business side of creativity. Um, and, uh, he's got a follow-up book. I can't remember what the second one was, but it really was, it, it took me from an, an artist and a designer it, to understanding how to, how to structure and build and run an agency. So pretty easy read, but was a, was a great first read, uh, coming into this come coming into this space is it i guess cameron foot i don't cameron know if his foot, other yep. rethink the business of creativity might be i don't know that's another book that showed yeah up, but he's but. he's been writing other ones since it's an obviously this was 20 years ago so um yeah the business side of creativity was uh was the first one uh and then he had another uh follow-up to that the creative but, business guide to marketing i'm just i'm just googling and then starting to rattle off yeah uh, yeah, yeah. um notes. I think that might have been his second book. Uh, so, but anyway, yeah. So he was. That's that's uh, that's that's the one that pops to my to my mind. It, it did it did um, take basically what I've learned in twenty years and put it into a book. And it was like, yeah, he was right. And as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. Uh, yeah, probably the easiest way is asanka.com, A-S-E-N-K-A. That's us. Um, we're based in New Hope, Pennsylvania. And uh, yeah. Beautiful. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love it here. Love New Hope. Uh, awesome. Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show. And for those of you who may have learned something from the episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality of guests. And as always, thank you for listening. Brian, awesome episode. Loved it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Great being here. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.